Hello and welcome at Book Lovers Companion. My name is Edith and back behind the microphone is the chattering teacup. Hello. Are you good teacup? Yes. No tea in your cup? Sadly not. Uh, sadly not, but maybe soon. Yes. Yes. And here with us, a regular guest on this show, Kimberly Sullivan. Hello, Kimberly, and welcome back on the show. Hello, Edith. Thank you, Teacup, for having me. And what a nice thing to hear that I'm a regular. That makes me feel special. Oh, yes, you are. You are indeed. And it's a pleasure to have you back and also a pleasure to talk about your latest book, which came out in December 2023. Correct. Yeah. Rome's Last Noble Palace. It takes place on three timelines. And the question is, what can you tell our listeners about your latest book? <laughs> yes. Well, yes, it, it does actually take place in three timelines, but one is in the modern timeline. So uh, I, I do I do still call it a dual timeline, but mm. you're absolutely correct. It and um, yes, it's the story of Rome's last noble palace is a real palace. It's the Palazzo mm -hmm. Brancaccio, which is mm -hmm. here in Italy and um, was built in 1896, built by a famous architect at the time in Italy. And yes, they did think there would be more palaces like this. However, of course, times were changing, not just in Italy, but in all of Europe. And these uh, great noble palaces were not uh, so in vogue uh, post-World War I. So this was a different mm -hmm. lifestyle. Things were changing a lot in Italy. But my, my timeline with the two stories is tied together by an attic room in the palace. So mm -hmm. we have the modern timeline when the palace was, which is true, it was a uh, wonderful museum of Near Eastern and, uh, and uh, Eastern art. And it was during this time that I had, I wanted to have a story mm -hmm. about Persian art, about an art curator who's a young woman who has a chance to live in the Palazzo Brancaccio. So a young American woman who comes over and is, has a chance to, to start her career there while she's, she's doing her PhD. And uh, she starts noticing kind of odd things, mm -hmm. let's say odd sounds and everything that are happening in the hallways as she's living alone in this attic. And uh, yeah, you, you find out slowly what the, what the story is about one of the previous residents, let's say, of the attic room, who is Isabel, also a young American who came over. And this part is is true about the museum that it about the palazzo. It was built by an American mm -hmm. princess because uh, people know a little bit about the, the so called dollar brides mm -hmm. that came mm -hmm. over a lot to England and Ireland, a little bit in France, but they also came to in, to uh, Italy mm -hmm. uh, as well. Some and so they brought their wealth and married mm -hmm. into a very old noble families, but impoverished in Italy and brought mm -hmm. new wealth into that. Mm -hmm. And so it was this American princess who actually built this this palace. And uh, the character that I have, who is all obviously fictional, was the niece of mm -hmm. this American woman and her family wanted to send her over here to marry well. And she has other ideas. So yeah, throughout the story, you kind of learn a little bit about the two women, about the two stories, a lot of similarities, even though one is in 1896, one is in modern days, lots of things have obviously changed, but there are a lot of similar uh, desires, traumas, dreams, dreams stopped by other people, uh, people wanting you to do something, you wanting it uh, inside, but having to always, you know, have things about the time that might not have been exactly as mm -hmm. you would like them to be. So yeah, I had a lot of fun with these dual timelines and, and bringing these two women, uh, these parallel lives somewhat together. Mm -hmm. 
Go on, Tico. As it's often quite difficult for authors to keep the story correct with one timeline. How difficult is it to with two or even three timelines? Yeah, I should explain with the three timelines just for the, obviously you read it, but for the people who haven't read it, Sophie, I have two char- main characters. So Sophie is our modern character and Isabelle is the character in 1896. So when we meet Sophie, it is closer to modern, mm-hmm. it's 2018. And she's coming back years later after having interned there. And we know that there's something that is disturbing her about the Palazzo Brancaccio, but we don't know what it is. And so the second timeline is going back in time to when she was a young, rather insecure intern when she was starting off there. So the timeline is always with with Sophie's timeline, of course, in more in modern days. 1896, of course, I had to look at a lot of the things. I love Rome in general. You, you know, I live here for many years. And I do find the time to be fascinating because everyone thinks of Rome, of course, it is a very ancient city. But when we think about all the changes that were happening in Rome at that time, because uh, as I mentioned in the historical notes, I mean, and as you know very well, but maybe not all of our listeners know, I mean, Rome was... I mean, it still is the head of the Catholic Church, right? The Vatican. Mm -hmm. But it was the papal states. It was separate from the rest of Italy. Even when Italy unified in 1861, Rome and large portion, let's say, of the state of Lazio stayed as the papal state. So it was separate from the rest of Europe, Mm -hmm. uh, excuse me, from the rest of Italy. And so until 1870, when they also conquered, let's say, the the papal states and Rome then became the capital, Mm -hmm. it was a very small I don't want to say village, very, very small city, you know, for that. So it was growing. People were coming to Rome. It became the capital. So the 1890s was really a fascinating time in Rome. And so, you know, a lot was being built. There were a lot of urban projects. Uh, Termini Rail Station started. So I explain a little bit of that in there. Mm-hmm. There was a lot mm-hmm. of cafe, yep. society, art and culture that wouldn't have been there to the same extent during the, the papal years mm-hmm. in, the, in the same way. Of course, artists mm-hmm. always came to Rome, but the cafe society and theater and everything was what much more active in those mm. years. So it was fun for me to to look at this, how Rome was changing and to to have a character who would be kind of in the middle of it. Mm. And we said so before we started recording, I got the impression there is a little bit of longing for Vienna in the book. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm biased, of course. I love, uh, I love Vienna, as you both know very well. But one of my characters is, of course, an opera singer. Yeah. And what am I going to do? Of course, the <laughs> character has to go to Vienna. I mean, <laughs> of course, Italy yeah. and Vienna are the yeah. two really great uh, opera capitals. So, yeah. And also the mention of the cafe, this more or less role model of Vienna's cafe or cafehouse culture, coffeehouse culture is mentioned in the book as well. And although Italian or Italy and Austria are not always so eye to eye politically, Culturally, it was a different cup of tea, speaking of teacups. <laughs> well, yeah, the cafe culture in general, as you know, is different in... Uh, well, that's not true. That's it, you, you know, it's very different in northern Italy yeah. uh, and southern Italy. But the Cafe Greco, which is an important element in my story that the, the women are going there often, I, I find fascinating. That's uh, Italy's second oldest cafe, mm-hmm. Cafe Florian, in, which is in a beautiful spot right on... Mm-hmm. Uh, on the, you know, in, in the center of Venice and is really worth a visit as well, is the oldest in Italy. Mm-hmm. But uh, Cafe Greco is the oldest in, in Rome. And it was such a meeting point for artists, uh, mm-hmm. people traveling on the Grand Tour, 
young uh, writers and and people who would go there and and spend the days there. Mm-hmm. I mean, similarly to as you know with with Vienna. Yep. That people would spend, you know, also you didn't have heating necessarily in your home, right? And you would go someplace to mm-hmm. to be there for the day. This was this was a large portion of yeah. the, you know, of the of the culture of the draw, and people would have their mail uh, yeah. delivered to the cafe yeah. a lot of times. So there's a bit of a also I, I always like exploring class differences, and mm-hmm. so uh, Isabel, of course, is not of just from a, let's say a comfortable family that's lost a bit of money, mm-hmm. but she's not. Obviously, uh, she's put into a noble family and they mm-hmm. have expectations for mm-hmm. her, but she's not noble herself. She doesn't have any aspirations to be. And so she's very drawn to this culture of artists and writers and uh, more of the eclectic group that is at the uh, Cafe Greco. Mm-hmm. But uh, that is not, that is something that was happening more, let's say, in the 1890s, a lot of mm-hmm. different um, social classes mm-hmm. mixing. Mm-hmm. And um, and she always has these difficulties with her noble aunt, or <laughs> born into, she wasn't born into nobility, but becomes nobility aunt, who does not want her mixing with with this type of crowd. So there was also a lot more of the urban dynamics that happened mm-hmm. at the time that a lot of social classes were mixing at that time in the 1890s. I mean, also... I speak in the book a lot about Piazza Vittorio that they're very close to. That was a new urban center yeah. where people would go, listen to music, uh, take a stroll around, and all of the classes would once again mix. You know, you didn't necessarily have that to the same extent in many other periods in Rome when it would have been very, mm-hmm. very different between the classes. Mm-hmm. I mean, between the, the noble family. Yeah, I mean the the past timeline you mentioned it takes place in 1896. I mean, it's the end of the century. There's a lot of change happening. You, for example, mentioned this new fashion of cycling, mm-hmm. which, which brings me back to another book I read. Do you remember the book by Linda Stratman where she where she uh, mentions the cycling clubs where also women could take yeah. part? I mean, she her her cycling club was invented, but it could have been there. So it was becoming a new kind of sports for women, and it required different way of dressing as well and. Isabel's aunt is a bit put out by this kind of fashion. <laughs> Shall we put it that way? But is it because she wasn't born into nobility Maybe. that she's trying to be more noble than Maybe. the nobility of birth? It, it, yeah, that's a good point. It could be. But at the time, because she is a real character of history, and of course, with that, I feel a little bit bad because I'm inventing. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I do feel a little bit bad for that because, of course, uh, the snobbishness in this, I uh, the things that are real, the, the, pala- the palazzo, the palace is real. She did actually buy a castle in this town outside of Rome, mm-hmm. which is also, I have this in the book. She, mm-hmm. she, she bought a, a medieval castle, which yeah. I find fascinating in the you know, in the 18, in the late 1800s to buy a medieval castle. She restored it. She became a patron to that, to that little town. It's fascinating because you can go there today. But I think that especially if you look at the time in American history, these were the children of the robber barons. Mm-hmm. I mean, her, her father made great wealth yeah. um, from, from steel. So they were very wealthy. And in New York, yes, we didn't have the nobility, but you certainly had a huge difference I don't know. I honestly don't know if it might have even been a little bit more than in Europe, because when you see how the robber barons lived compared to in Europe, where a lot of the nobility at that time maybe had waning financial resources, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, the American wealthy lived very well at the the time. And so she also grew up with great wealth. 
Do you also think maybe that maybe, just maybe, I'm not sure, you said correctly so that in Europe, lots of nobility has lost a lot of money and keeping up appearances is always expensive, especially if you have a big household. And maybe also the fact that um, have been able to live the art of the understatement, maybe more in if you're old nobility, Mm-hmm. More so than sure. if you have come into money only rather mm-hmm. recently. Yes, 100%. Well, they were especially the rob- the robber barons. Uh, the, the, that era in the, the Gilded Age in America was very ostentatious. Absolutely. And, and there is probably something to be said for that. You know, that they, they really like to flaunt wealth. And so when the American tourists of that, you know, of the Gilded Age of that period, when they came over, yes, I think that they spent... Incredibly, I think you know you know this because I, I speak about it a little bit in the book too. But I mean, worth gowns in Paris, of course, which was the height of luxury. You would come over and you would get you know basically entire. Uh, you'd, you'd ship back so many mm-hmm. of these. They'd come over for their fittings in Paris mm-hmm. to get their their clothing, and they would come mm-hmm. back. So yes, there were a lot of the the wealthy industrialists, and and yes, it was very important because we didn't have this older you know. Okay, so in New York, if you came from the bloodlines of the, let's say, the Dutch and the English families, there would be a pecking order that they created yeah. in in New York as well. The newer immigrants wouldn't mm-hmm. be in the same, mm-hmm. you know, the same level. But but there was always this kind of pecking order. Then they got replaced by the robber barons, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you know, they came. They were a lot of times immigrants that came and made a lot of money. So it is very interesting. But yes, there was an incredible amount of wealth among among a small group of people. And they would probably be considered to be very um, ostentatious and vulgar, I would imagine, by many of the older <laughs> lines. <laughs> and also the fact you mentioned, you also mentioned it in your book, and I think it's still true to some extent that the Americans, although they do not have a class system, Dika, we spoke about it. They at least say they don't have a class system, yes, a classless society. But they are still very class conscious. And very interested in, in the class system that exists yeah. in some countries like uh, like Britain in yeah. Europe. Yeah, and that's that is actually why so many, I mean this idea of the dollar brides, this is why so many wealthy families came over and they wanted because because especially I'm I'm, I'm using New York as an example because New York is the typical knickerbocker if mm-hmm. you came from the old Dutch families or some of the English families and you had a long, you know, bloodline a um, long bloodline in America. It's not so long. <laughs> Of course, you were considered to be the top. So I'm speaking about, uh, you know, the Astor Ballroom to be yeah. invited to the Astor Ballroom, and so then you had, um, you know, kind of these upstarts who made tremendous amount mm-hmm. of money and wound up having much more money than these older families did, but they did not have the same respect. Yeah. And one of the ways to be able to outmaneuver this was to have a beautiful daughter who had millions. And that you could marry into a wealthy family because, mm-hmm. again, if they came back with a title, they couldn't overlook that. Mm-hmm. And this happened with a lot of the mm-hmm. robber baron families that did this and married into, uh, they would have a, a very yeah. lovely daughter with lots of money who would infuse new wealth into these yeah. families. And um, they would be able to come back. And even the old Knickerbocker families could not look the other way with that. Yeah. So, you know, it is actually quite interesting. I mean, this time in America was was, was <laughs> absolutely fascinating. Yeah, so. but then then you have Isabel, who is supposed to follow that line of thinking. And yet, like you said, she's more interested in the arts, 
in the lifestyle of the artists and she takes drawing classes and yeah. Oh, isn't it scandalous? Yeah, but she can, I think she can afford to have her own will. Yeah, to some extent. Yeah. To some extent. And there is also another thread in your in your book, which I found interesting because one of her friends or someone who becomes a friend in, in when she's in Rome, her cousin is working as a nurse in a hospital and she gets also interested in the patients and what is going on in this hospital. And shouldn't we talk more about that? And shouldn't it be more known that it's not a shame to have the so-called French disease? <laughs> Especially for women, because they are always the victims. Although they get blamed, they are the sinners, sure. although they are the victim of violence sometimes or rather often. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And yeah, that was also, I was fascinated with that, looking at old newspapers from the 1890s, mm. because I actually put that, uh, I was interested in that storyline because mm -hmm. I just saw so many advertisements in the Italian newspapers uh, for private appointments for uh, basically mercury tablets, mm -hmm. which is mm -hmm. what they would have given and they thought they thought was a cure mm -hmm. for, uh, yes, the French disease, of course, being being syphilis. So, which they, they, it was given the name the French disease because apparently the French soldiers uh, with the Bourbon, right, that they were in Naples yep. and it spread throughout Naples. Of course, yep. they blamed it on the French, but <laughs> someone had to be spreading it too. <laughs> In any case, it, so it sounds much more romantic that way. Interesting name, but uh, but yes. So of course, that's one of the one of the aspects. But I'm not shocked that in uh, 1896 these wouldn't really be thought of. But of course, there are a lot of different thinking at the time, and and this is always the case, right? Younger people having different views from from their mm -hmm. elders, mm -hmm. and it's not even necessarily Isabel's aunt who's really the big problem. It's her mother yeah, who wants yeah. her to marry well, so. She expects it of her and she has to go against her family, which isn't so easy. She's, you know, the, the idea of disappointing her, her mother is, is one of the difficult things. And at that time, especially, um, yes, yeah, she has other desires. She would like to have a life on her own, but there are societal expectations, mm -hmm. which are always strong, but a lot stronger at the time. Yeah. But is it easier for an outsider to speak about the problems within a society? And for the people that are stuck in it? That's a good question. Although I, I think that at least with my character, with Isabel, she doesn't think that it would be easier for her in New York. I mm. mean, uh, she sees that her mother, if, if it, I, I, the idea for her is that if she marries well, the same way that is happening there with nobility, she will bring a lot of importance back to the family yep. since they have lost uh, some of their money. But if she were in New York, her mother would still be striving in 1896 for an important marriage. Yeah. So it would be pretty much the same type of thing. And she does in some way have more independence living abroad, mm -hmm. far away from mm -hmm. her mother. So there was absolutely a societal uh, push at the time as well. Mm -hmm. I mean, women had to marry well, um, especially in that class, obviously, they had to, to maintain to maintain uh, at least the, the the appearance of the wealth that she kind of grew up mm. with and then didn't have as much. So that's why it's so important. Mm. And you also mentioned quite a lot the lower classes. Maids, for example, they play a major role in the book as well. And I always found it fascinating to see how their lives were. I mean, I looked it up when I researched for Fractures and Hinges and the girls were as young as 12 when they went into service. 
the as a, for example in Vienna they usually came from other parts of the of the empire and they came to Vienna to work as maids and if something happened if they were thrown out by the employer without some some sort of character um, credentials credentials where did they end up they ended up in prostitution yeah and a, a huge a huge percentage of prostitutes at the time uh, came originally from service i suppose it can be also said for for italy or rome at the time wouldn't have been so different or? yeah i mean obviously not the same aspect that you had of the the empire coming from different countries and coming there but yes a, a lot of them would have come as well from you know around rome it's mm -hmm. a, it's a lot of countryside and everything so i do have some of the characters coming from the mm -hmm. i mean rome was much smaller We talk about the Campania mm -hmm. Romana, the, the the countryside and the farms yeah. were just outside of of Rome, basically. But yes, uh, there are some of the characters, and and Isabel is in an odd situation because she's not really she's uh, of course with Auntie Elizabeth, she's in society a lot. She's mm -hmm. uh, at their dinner, she's at their event. She's a young, attractive woman, so it's you know it's 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 they have her there. But there, she's not really part of the family, so she is a little bit closer to the servant class. Yeah. So that's why she. She does have friends, but that wouldn't be so normal, let's say, among the nobility to to, to mm. befriend the younger the younger women who are there. But she finds out a little bit about these women when she visits the hospital, mm -hmm. and she gets her eye opened a little bit, not just about her own situation, which we won't talk about because we won't give too much away. <laughs> but in let's say in general, because what Anna, the woman she talks to, tells her can be also said sure. for other women at the hospital or other women in the city who earn their money by prostitution. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. But people in service obviously would, would be in a difficult situation yeah. as well because they wouldn't, as you were pointing out, I mean, not being able to have references, being sent away for the family. This wasn't unusual, unfortunately, that people could take advantage yeah. of, uh, of situations. Yeah. So. yeah. But as you are writing two timeline, two different timelines, in your book, in the situation, you have the possibility to explore similar situations mm -hmm. in different times and how people dealt with it. Yeah, well, I love this idea. I mean, in, in general, I love history. And so and I and I do love continuity, let's say in history, things change a lot. But a lot of the human emotions, human desires, uh, situations don't. So I think it's nice to be able to look back in time and see that it isn't yes we look at the old pictures and we see the old outfits and we love to look at them but i mean it's nice to explore the aspects that are similar and i think that both of my characters are striving for something that they really want and their desires and they're you know sometimes stopped at certain points or things happen mm -hmm. to them that they that are beyond their control and they 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 both have to work hard to to strive to to get what they want or to to live as they want to live however that means for them especially if you're a woman not only in 1896 but also in 2006 <laughs> absolutely and nothing absolutely. changed i mean we like to believe that things have changed a lot but like you said before teacup when we spoke about it It turns out again and again that not so much has changed at all. Are we deluding ourselves sometimes? <laughs> well, you know, things uh, with, with certain people, you know, say that, that, I don't know, some people, I, I like to have a mix of things. I think that, I think that my story is, is very hopeful. I think that I always have that, but I think that uh, I, some people get very happy if you don't have a fully happy end. 
And <laughs> so I'm not always making a happy ending and things like that. However, I, I think that both of my characters are very true to themselves. Mm -hmm. And so I think that they find, um, find a way to, to cope with trauma, to cope with mm -hmm. difficult situations that is true to their own character. Mm -hmm. And also, uh, so uh, we haven't spoken that much about Sophie, but with Sophie, when she comes yeah. over, this is this is a huge opportunity for her. She's very mm -hmm. um, she's very young, mm -hmm. naive, mm -hmm. uh, insecure about mm -hmm. her ability to to perform because it mm -hmm. is it is a big responsibility mm -hmm. to come over. She knows a mm -hmm. lot about Persian art, mm -hmm. but you know, being able to having to curate a big, important uh, exhibition yeah. in a language that she, of course, she's working in English, but she has to deal a lot in Italian and she doesn't speak it well enough to be able to really do that. So she has a lot of insecurities as to whether she can do it. And she's perhaps a little bit too, you know, leans on other people to do that. And she's perhaps a little bit naive with this. However, you know, we see her years later and, uh, as you know, despite having gone through a lot of trauma she does uh, grow a lot as a character and um working towards you know really achieving what she wants to achieve so i f i hope that people feel that there's a sense of closure too with the characters and that they you know even if not everything is a happy ending at least it's uh it's a sense of you know uh, of uh yeah of closure of these two lives connected in some mm -hmm. way and and of a little bit of understanding it does feel like closure i mean although it, not everything is a happy ending <laughs> all not all roses because it doesn't have to be but it still is a positive outlook and if someone has to face huge problems it gives them a chance to grow more Than if there weren't any problems, because mm. then you need to grow. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean that's that's that, that's something I spoke to my latest guest, Jeffrey Jeffrey Gardner, because his character wants to get rid of some of his memories, and it's fantasy. It it, it is possible, but one of the other characters, a soldier, tells him, "I wouldn't do that because everything I've experienced makes me the person I am today." Yeah. So yeah, although I do see where where the one character comes from, Thorn, what he experienced. I see his point. But on the other hand, would he still be the same if he got rid of those memories? I don't think so. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no, I don't I I don't know the, the, the story, but I, I I do that does make a lot of sense for having this. And, and in fact when when the story opens in Sophie's perspective, we see that this fear is still living in her of mm -hmm. of her experience. Yeah. That the I mean it's taken her eleven years to to get back to yeah. Rome. Yeah. And uh, she only comes because she's invited mm -hmm. to the uh, to the Palazzo Brancaccio yeah. to speak. Uh, and so she comes back, but she's very fearful. It's been there the whole time. She thinks that it's been long enough to be able to to face her fears and come back. But but being here, uh, being back in Rome, seeing it again uh, is something that she's wanted to forget. So that is something that um, yes, she she did grow stronger. She did mm -hmm. move on from things there. But then there's the moment of Do you hide away from it or mm -hmm. do you confront it? Mm -hmm. And so that's uh, that's a little bit of the timeline, which, as you know, we start off in the present day and then go back to understand yeah, what, what she's facing. Because the memories or the person, let's say the situation, the person who have caused those memories haven't conquered her. They didn't win mm -hmm. in the end. If he didn't sure. come back, the person would have won. And otherwise, she might still be naive and insecure. Mm. 
Yeah, no, no. I think she. Well, she is. She is very young, though. I mean, to be fair, I mean, she. Um, when she when she comes there, she's a PhD student, and she doesn't yeah. have this. And she hasn't traveled a lot. She hasn't yeah. had this world experience. So, so she is going into a very difficult situation. But at the same point, yes, obviously, as unpleasant as any hardship is, it kind of forces you into this, and and that is her situation. That uh, you know, but for both for both women, I think that Isabel obviously is not as insecure. She does have a little bit more of her. She knows her place, at least in mm-hmm. life, even mm-hmm. if she's not as happy mm-hmm. with what she's supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Um, she's definitely more confident. But but yes, her the drama shatters her as well and um, and changes the course that she would like to that she would like to take. Yeah, especially at the time. And again, we can't give too much away, the listeners, because <laughs> you have to read the book to find out what it is that causes Isabel to mm, feel as if life hasn't dealt her anything to cope with it. Let's just say cope with it. She feels she can't cope with it. And why she can't cope with it? Read it for yourself. It's fascinating. It's a fascinating read, indeed. What about you? Mentioned you were you have again and again. You're fascinated by by history and by, especially this palazzo. And how much research did you have to do for this book, especially? Yeah, because it's a little bit of a mix, obviously, of true historic facts yeah. and true buildings and everything, and then obviously characters that I made up and stories mm-hmm. lines that I made up. But uh, yes, the the I mean the Palazzo Brancaccio itself is actually very interesting, and a lot of uh, what I've said about it is is true. It was built. I mean, there's a, a in the back they have a huge mm-hmm. garden. Mm-hmm. It is there is a coffee house because uh, this is one of the things that while she likes, since we were speaking about the Cafe Greco that she likes going to, her aunt doesn't understand why she would want to go out with the the riffraff in, <laughs> you know, in society when they have their own coffee house within their grounds, which um, I must say that I have, um, I shouldn't say this perhaps, but the doors were open at the Palazzo Brancaccio garden once. And I did sneak in to take a look at this beautiful coffee house, mm. which is because it's uh, sadly not open to the public, mm. but it is beautiful. Absolutely wonderful to have a palazzo with a cafe all of your own, I think is really... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> quite impressive. So yes, a lot of that and a lot of the building and um, okay, obviously I've, I've taken real characters and did that. There's a little bit of a relationship with the, with the artist who did a lot of the paintings uh, that I took liberties in, in having him have some of the information about Isabel that serves later on. So a lot of this is, is really true. As I said, the San Gregorio, this real town, mm-hmm, which is mm-hmm. where this uh, castle exists. Mm-hmm. I did go out to visit that town and the mm-hmm. castle, and it's a wonderful medieval town in a beautiful spot. And Isabel goes there with the family, but then she goes there after she's had some some difficulties, and it, it allows her to also, uh, you know, as you were saying, with uh, her interactions with a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of. The, the people themselves rather mm-hmm, than just mm-hmm. the nobility. I mean, mm-hmm. she really interacts a lot with the town. Mm-hmm. She really feels very comfortable there. She enjoys her time with the villagers and, and it's a much more peaceful uh, time for her to be able to spend some time and to, let's say, to heal a little bit. Um, so these are, these are all true places. Mm-hmm. And Rome itself, of course, was an exciting time because I have a lot with the opera because uh, there's a romantic interest uh, with, as you mm-hmm. already pointed mm-hmm. out, with a 
very handsome Italian tenor. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so who also travels a lot to different places for, for operas such as Vienna and others. So yes, there's music. She is also uh, is interested in costume design mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. in and in hopefully having an atelier for for wealthy women because she's interested in fashion. So she's involved yeah. with these things. So yeah, these were really I I went to some excellent exhibitions on costume design mm. at the time and on changing women's fashion in Italy, and it was fascinating to just see it. There really was when you look. I'm not an expert on fashion, but mm-hmm. I enjoy looking at it. And just when you look at how women, it was so much more freeing. We were talking about the bicycles before, Mm -hmm. but you know, when you look at what people used to walk around with these huge hoop skirts and with all Mm -hmm. of these, you know, basically constructions, they were so constricted. When you look at the fashion of the late 1890s and then going Mm -hmm. into the new century, it's true that women did have more mobility. They could walk around more. It was more comfortable. And so she is also very interested in that. The bicycle suits that they Mm -hmm. had which were a little bit, which were scandalous, right? But a little bit yep. between men's type of suits and clothes. And w- so it was interesting to see this, yeah. that uh, that women were getting yep. more freedom, let's say, at the end of the, uh, the 1890s. Yeah, new, a new century is looming. And I think that also is the beginning of the so-called reform clothes, where women were not wearing corsets and so on. They and like weave. you said, yeah, exactly. And then fashion was changing a lot. Absolutely. Were you ever were you ever tempted making this book more gothic like? <laughs> I was actually, but I don't. You know, for me, having a, a super a supernatural element is a little bit different for me. Anyway, I've never had a ghostly element within the book, so it's a small. It's funny because I I see a lot of people who who you know have looked at the book and like that, like ghostly elements. So they tell me about that and the fact that uh, they would have liked to have more of it in it was it's unusual for me to do it was the first time that I did it so I liked it but yes I didn't have it as let's say as gothic but I do love gothic mm-hmm. uh, novels I think they're they're really fascinating is that not something you would like to put your toe in yeah I wanted it I wanted it to be an element I wanted it to be a connection between the two women but I didn't want it to take over other aspects of the story. Yeah. So when I read, when I've also read a lot of Gothic novels that I love, it's really the the the, the factor that's driving the entire story. Yeah. Whereas I think here it was just similarly to when I have a story that has I not that I haven't written you. We we spoke about Dark Blue Waves, which also mm-hmm. is an mm-hmm. historical romance. Yeah. But a lot of times I have romance elements without being a romance book. Mm -hmm. And so this has, yes, uh, the elements that I thought helped to bring the story Mm -hmm. together Mm -hmm. and have a little bit of mystery. But I wouldn't, yeah, it's it's definitely not a gothic tale. It has elements of that. No, but are you yourself maybe tempted one day to write gothic? (laughs) (laughs) Just asking. I don't have it. I don't have it in upcoming projects, but. Never say never. I mean, I really, uh, I'm, I'm always interested in new things. So, but yes, I mean, I absolutely love reading other no- novelists who are very skilled in that. I'd probably have to do much more of a study to be able to feel confident in writing a purely goth. And asking a very un- not so charming question. What would you say to someone who would say, oh, it's just chiclet? Um, I don't know. I'm not really against 
Chicklet. I don't know about the title. The title, I think, that used to be Chicklet. It was big, really, in the 90s, the beginning mm-hmm. of 2000s, mm-hmm. right? So I, I really think of it around, I don't know, Bridget Jones's diary or something when it got really big. But, you know, even when people look down upon it, I'm so, you know, Bridget Jones's diary was a really nice book. And it's a retelling of, you know, Pride and Prejudice. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't I don't have a problem. Like, even the, the title of women's fiction, because I consider what I write, um, mm-hmm. I write dual timeline, I write historical, mm-hmm. I write contemporary, I write uh, short stories, but I consider it all to be women's fiction. And there are some people who say, oh, you shouldn't use women's fiction because, I don't know, it's not serious literature. It's not, in, in my country, the great American novel or something. <laughs> and I don't, I don't agree. I love women's fiction because it's really the interior journey of the, of the woman, of the protagonist. And I like I like being able to see that. And quite frankly, I always come back to it. Women read much more than men. So I don't yes. see what is yes. something that is. I, I, I mean, I've had plenty of men who've read my uh, novels and said mm-hmm. that they liked it. And that mm-hmm. always makes me happy. But I, I assume that most of my audience is women. Mm-hmm. So I don't have any problem. Yeah, I don't I, I, I don't really have this kind of snobbiness that says it can only be classic literature in this case i mean i like i like women's fiction even chiclet would be different because it's a little bit of a funny angle Mm -hmm. i think i don't think this would anyway not because i'm trying to distance myself from it but i don't think that something like this would be considered to be Mm -hmm. chiclet because it is it's not quite light and uh mm. humorous yeah as yeah. much of it is but sometimes i like to read a, a good chick lit novel <laughs> i think that they're funny i think i like to break up my reading a lot anyway i like to read a lot of historical mm. and then i'd like to re- break it up so no i mean personally i i'm i'm not against it yeah it has its place and like you said women read read a lot more than men do usually you do have your audience and occasionally the one or two men or more of course men can also enjoy the books. Like you said, it's not, it's romance. It's not really romance. It, you have a romantic element in the books, but it's not exclusively romance. It's not a romance novel, yeah, as exactly. you exactly. Yeah. But it's it, in there. Yeah, it has a lot of different elements, which makes it interesting for a huge audience, actually, because like you said, you have the ghost element in this one, you have timelines, you have history in it. So it makes it available for more than just one sort of reader. And you should always yeah, mix I, up I like mixing genres. Mm-hmm. I think it's fun to mix genres, you know, and to have different things. Just personally, I like it. I like it as a reader. And it's it's fun for me as a writer. And I didn't actually, when I started writing this, I didn't know that I would have a ghostly element. <laughs> I decided to, so, so I did not plan it as a gothic. That ah. is why I did when you asked me that. But I wanted a way to, to, to have some kind of connection between the two women. And so it served the story well. And mm-hmm. so as I was thinking about it, I liked this idea mm. of her having a connection with the, mm-hmm. with the former resident. Mm-hmm. And I think this is just something, and maybe it's also an American being in, in Europe. But one of the things that I love so much about Europe, obviously, is all of the history. I mean, in America already, if something is 100 <laughs> years old, it's considered so old <laughs> in America. And I'm always embarrassed when, you know, in New York, people say, oh, you know, St. Patrick's Cathedral in New York is so old. And it would have been, you know, built about the same time as my, as my time story here, right, in the 1880s. So, you know, that's not so old here. Mm-hmm. You just think about all the lives of the people who lived 
before you, all the people who are living in the same palaces that have been here for hundreds and hundreds of years. I love this idea of of trying to look at that and 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 these lives that you know we don't know that much about the people who might have lived in the buildings where we're living hundreds of years ago. But I like the idea that that maybe people kind of had the same dreams, the same mm-hmm. ambitions, the exactly. same the same disappointments. It, yeah, absolutely. And like you said, emotions don't change. I mean, that's why we always say Shakespeare will never be out mm-hmm. of favor, out of the out of time, uh, or old or dusty. Because what makes people react or act, and what motivates us, it was the same in Shakespeare's time as it is now, and even before that. Yeah. I mean, there are more or less the same stories in the classics, yeah. and and probably even before mm-hmm. that. Although we can't read them, yeah, because. Humans haven't changed that much. The framework definitely has changed. But what drives humans? Yeah, it's still the same. It's more or less the same. Absolutely. Which is why in a city like this, uh, you go around and you look at the artwork from ancient Rome. You look at... (laughs) The, the, at the Colosseum, there were kids who did little graffiti of their favorite uh, gladiators. So they, you know, <laughs> yeah. they discovered this. They have little carving, which would be, I don't know, the equivalent of a boy who goes to see football today, right? Yeah. And has his favorite uh, football player. So, you know, you see all of these things that are it's a different lives. 2,000 mm-hmm. years ago, you know, we look at the art, but it uh, it moves mm-hmm. us today because, yeah. And if, if you walk... Yeah, through these old buildings and think about the people who have or might have lived there and start thinking about them, there you have your ghosts. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Well, especially if you look at a city like, you know, here in Italy, right? Pompeii, mm-hmm. buried by the lava and then uh, rediscovered. It. And that's fascinating when They're you go there because you know, it's been so perfectly. Yes, exactly. And you also have the cast of sadly the people who are trying to escape. But, you know, you see the villas, how they were. You see... Yeah. Uh, roads where they had the roadside maybe the equivalent of what we would consider fast food because that's where you would go and pick up something to eat and continue walking and and you can see it wonderfully preserved but not changed by time because obviously so much of the italian cities yes they've incorporated parts of the past Mm. but you have the things living side by side but in pompeii you're just so struck by it because it's how life was two thousand years ago and you can see the city preserved this way I think yeah. it's it's fascinating because it gives us a view into everyday life, how it actually was. Mm. But on the other hand, side, it's somewhat eerie because it's so preserved. Especially in, in Pompeii and Herculaneum, yeah. absolutely. So I mean, we also have our excavations from the Roman times here in Austria, of course. Sure, sure, sure. But uh, nothing as good as preserved as it is in Pompeii. It's, it's like a picture somehow yeah, yeah. because it's preserved yeah. as it was. Yes, exactly. Frozen in time, yeah, in a way, yeah, yeah, <laughs> no, absolutely frozen in, frozen in time, yeah. oh, lava. frozen yeah. in one, one day, <laughs> yeah, exactly, absolutely. Yeah. That is something is food for the imagination, I suppose. Also, yeah, it's scary, it's scary if, if you think it about is. it. What, it what, what happened? How can you imagine happened? being there at night? Can you imagine being there alone at night when we talk about the idea of that? Is a place that you would think, oh, this is <laughs> has you know. Ooh. The past. I'm not someone who generally believes in uh, ghosts or things like that. But when you look at something like that, you could think, oh, this would be very eerie if you were yeah. all alone it's, in the it's, evening at a place like that. I think it's the same. Like, I don't want to be at a cemetery no. during the night. <laughs> I have <laughs> been. I have been. But yeah, you know, you get, you, you grew up with all those ghost stories and you think. Exactly. <laughs> You don't, well, you don't I've don't never lived in an friend. attic with these strange sounds, but if I have to say, if I were like Sophie, I would 
probably, even being someone who is not so drawn to that generally, personally, I probably would change my mind and wonder. In this case, (laughs) in this case, I absolutely agree. But coming back to the cemetery, you realize when you look at the newspapers, it's not the dead you have to be afraid of. It's the living (laughs) who are dangerous, more dangerous than the dead. Except for vampires, but we're not talking about vampires. But there's a different cup of tea. So there are no vampires. I could no, no spoilers here. I don't want people to think there are vampires. No, 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 no. no of course, no, 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 no not vampires. In not in this book. No, no vampires. vampires. No werewolves. No vampires. No zombies. Nothing like that. Unless okay, good, because I know that that as speaking about genre, that is a genre of people who really expect that, and I would hate for someone. No, to- no, 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 no. To make that clear, no. Unless they're in disguise, we don't know about it. Yeah, but not in her book. <laughs> not, not in her book. No, no, no. Kimberly, what can we look forward to from you? Yes. Well, um, I'm now finalizing my... my actually, Edith, since you did ask me, Chicklet. <laughs> I don't think it was Chicklet, but my first novel was a modern retelling of uh, Three Coins. Mm-hmm. And I did get reviews from people saying that they like Chicklet. And that might have been my one that was closest, let's say, to Chicklet. <laughs> I don't think it is quite chick lit, but it's a little bit that way because it was a modern retelling of three uh, American women who meet in uh, meet outside of Rome in uh, Sperlonga, beautiful beach resort there, but off season when they're all facing their own problems and they become, you know, kind of a, a unlikely friends and uh, and they, that helps them with their lives. So I decided I'd like to do a series. So mm. this is uh, three coins. It's uh, five years later mm. when they have. Uh, two of the women have left uh, Rome and they're now living in Umbria. I don't know Ooh. if you know the, the region of beautiful Umbria, which is very nice. And they are running an inn in Agroturismo there, which we got to know a little bit about in the first story. Mm-hmm. And I like that idea because, well, one, I like these women and I wanted to con- kind of continue with their lives and see things how it had developed. But uh, one of them is running the inn and another of the women really loved cooking and she was not very happy being an English teacher and she loved the idea of having the chance to go and cook and have cooking classes at at this uh, hotel. So we see them then and uh, they are running this hotel and it gives me a nice opportunity to have different guests at mm. everyone. So guests come, they come with their own, let's say, baggage, both physical and psychological. And, uh, you know, they're on holiday when often people have time to kind of reflect on their lives, make changes that they might want mm-hmm, to have, mm-hmm. or, or, you know, as we know, travel can always change us as well. So yeah, so I've, I've just mm-hmm. uh, finished writing that I'm editing, it will go out mm-hmm. to my editor and, and beta readers, and I'll have that coming out uh, later in the year. Oh. So the kind of the, the sequel to three coins, and I'll have a few of them, I've decided I'd like to continue and mm-hmm. have different series of guests coming in and kind of explore that. And the lovely thing is, as always, that's a much easier research when you do contemporary because, mm-hmm. you know, with historical, I do spend a lot of time going back, looking at things. But contemporary, I had the very difficult task. It takes place in a town, Todi. In, mm-hmm. And I, I've been there many times, but I hadn't been in a long time. So, of course, I had to go back, right? And of rediscover course. it. And How tragic. You know, yeah. eat the food Ooh. and walk the streets and, and do all of that. So, I mean. Hardship of the hardship. Um, as <laughs> one of your main characters is a cook, did you also try to cook a lot? Well, I do. Uh, no, I do not cook as well as my character who just loves it and does it all the time. But yes, I do cook. And uh, yes, of course, I know Italian food because I do it, but I'm definitely not going to put myself up uh, alongside a professional because she marries a professional chef and they work together. So uh-huh. I'm not ready to teach people cooking classes, but um, 
I do, yeah, I do. I do get by with with cooking Italian food. And the crime fiction fan in me also have to, has to ask: Will there be a murder in it? <laughs> <laughs> I haven't gotten. You know, I love reading those books, but I have not. Yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, oh, never not mind. Planning a murder. I don't want to give anything away, but I'm not planning a murder at the end. <laughs> They've just gotten off the ground. I mean, the problem is if I start having murders and and you know galore, what's they're not going to have much success for the hotel, right? So food poisoning wouldn't be no, not a good idea. Cars. No, no, wouldn't be a good idea. Our friend Carmen with cyanide, huh? No, I didn't didn't plan on that, but perhaps at least I know where to go. I could ask her. <laughs> exactly, and her second book is out as well, a sequel to her at cyanide. You will enjoy it as well. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, well, we were just fellow winners. We were just fellow fellow winners of the Indie Today Awards. So she got one for her uh, for her novel, and I got one for Rome's Last Noble Palace and for my short story collection. Congratulations! So we were just commenting the other day, and congratulations Fantastic. to Carmen as well, of course. Exactly. Yep. So I mean, it's it would be easy for for us to meet because she's in Belgrade, you are in Rome, we are in Vienna. Exactly. We should meet up. What are your plans for the summer? That is a good question because I have to go back to the U.S. in May. No, because usually I go back in the in the summer, but this I'm going back in May, so I don't have set 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 plans. So yeah. we should talk. Yeah, <laughs> uh, definitely. Uh, yep. fully agree. Definitely, <laughs> we really should. And Kimberly, is there anything else you would like our listeners to know? Just to thank you, I mean, thank both of you for having me on here because I always love coming on and discussing the books. And um, if your readers enjoy stories set in Rome, then of course I would be very happy if they would like to um, take a look at, at my website that has all of mm -hmm. the information on that. So it's Kimberly Sullivan Author. Dot com and yes if you're interested please sign up for my newsletter and mm -hmm. I you know every every two months or so send some information around I always have book news and because I'm a bit of a travelaholic as I think <laughs> you ladies are as well I usually tend to include some information there's some research related <laughs> or so I claim others excuses for research and um, yeah I always have book reviews for authors, books whom I love that I include because I do a lot of book reviews for mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. other mm -hmm. books that I read and other indie authors, other women's fiction authors. So I enjoy doing that as well. Oh, I can also say I'll, I'll put a little plug in because I am working, I'm editing an anthology mm. of historical fiction, Ooh. which is called Feisty Deeds. It's about feisty mm. women in Ooh. history. And uh, that's been so much fun because I, I'm with the uh, Women's Fictions Writers Association, mm -hmm. one, of, one of the writing groups that I'm with. And um, I had just asked if if people would like to do an anthology because we're mm -hmm. all writing in different periods, mm -hmm. different genres. And mm -hmm. it was so much fun. I'm working with another four women uh, in WFWA, this organization. And we, we put out a call with the writers and mm -hmm. said, would you like to contribute to this? And it's really fascinating because every woman has interpreted feisty differently depending mm -hmm. on the time the place which is true i mean mm -hmm. feisty can be you know being involved on the edge of a battle it can be uh, an invasion and how you have to rise to it it can also be you know small acts of defiance within the family at mm -hmm. a very rigid time so it was, it's really fascinating to see and so i've been very busy along with my uh, uh colleagues we were all doing writing it uh, writing and putting it together editing those and getting them out and those will also be out in 2024 mm -hmm. so i have to say i'm 
spending a lot of time editing other uh, <laughs> authors' writing. Fascinating. It's really, really a fun look at at feisty women throughout history. Sounds interesting. From the 1400s up to 1960s. Ooh, something for me as well. <laughs> and feisty women often are quite funny, I think. Exactly. And since you spoke of feisty women, another little tidbit of Austrian history in your book, was Empress Elizabeth feisty? <laughs> Was she feisty? That is a good question. I, I, I do not know because she certainly broke with tradition. She certainly yeah, uh, had, you know, views that would have been different from the time. I mean, obviously, yeah. also even the the relationship with her mother. I mean, I'm fascinated by the fact because you know Hungary probably much better than I do, but I've gone to Hungary quite a bit in my life. Mm -hmm. The idea that you learn Hungarian yep. well enough to speak with your daughter, largely because your mother-in-law hated Hungary. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Hungarian has 16 cases. I'm sorry, I struggled with, I learned Czech the three years I was there with eight cases. But when you tell me 16, I'm like, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I already, for me, that sounds pretty feisty, personally, mm -hmm. the fact that you... <laughs> So I don't know. Uh, she also probably had some, how can I say this kindly? She must have had some some problems, some other Definitely. things. But yeah, I, I mean, certainly with the strictures of society, I guess that you could say that. She's certainly a fascinating woman. Absolutely. I'm, I, I love when I've been to the, the uh, I really found that interesting the, the year that I lived in Vienna, going down to uh, her grave, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the, the, that, you, that you have there. Mm -hmm. Whenever I would there or take, you know, visitors there and see it, that there's always fresh flowers from yeah. her with the Hungarian yeah. flag. Yeah. I Indeed. mean, yeah. so loved today Kaputina in, yeah, it, it's, it's just interesting to see because it's not that I was personally visiting so much, but I would have friends that were coming yeah. by and, mm -hmm. and we would go in to see that. And it, you know, she's so loved today and, yeah. and, and really this idea of, yeah, of, uh, of, of spending so much time there of, again, learning the language well enough to speak to her daughter in Hungarian and make that, mm -hmm. you know, one of her primary languages when she didn't grow up speaking it. Is, yeah, it, it shows some real character. And yeah. rumor has it her influence wasn't so small in turning the Austrian Empire into Austro-Hungarian Empire. So did you, no, that that's that that is absolutely, you know, because she obviously uh, played an important part in that way. Mm -hmm. And the and the, the the fact that again she's still so loved by yep. young Hungarians today who yep. still go there yep. and 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 show their admiration is for me was fascinating. Did you see that film? Of uh, Empress Sissi, the, the new corset. one. No, 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 no. So I, because <laughs> I go up quite often to Ancona now, I can't get it out, out of my mind because, of course, it's a fictional show. Of her. It's, it's beautifully shot. Mm -hmm. It's it's really interesting. But they have her um, committing suicide and a fake Sissi. Yeah, it's, it's all very weird. The end, <laughs> but. Where she commits suicide is in Ancona. So now every time that I go to Ancona, because I go fairly frequently, I'm thinking of that scene of Sissi <laughs> jumping from the ship in Ancona. <laughs> oh, God. Whose idea yeah, was a, that one wonders? Odd, it's a very odd ending, but there are beautiful scenes, beautifully shot, uh, wonderful costumes. I mean, uh, it is, it is. Why, why turn it into a suicide? I mean, her death was uh, tragic enough. I mean... Why make it so overly dramatic? Yeah, I didn't get that either because she didn't want to be. So they have her that she does not want to continue. So she has her lady's maid basically taking her, becoming her. 
yeah, I know. I did. I thought. I thought her life was so dramatic <laughs> that you could have easily stuck with the original. Yes, but, uh, <laughs> I, I agree. When 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 it's handed to you, especially as a uh, as a writer, when it's handed to you on a silver platter, as it kind of is in the life of Sissy, you would think, yeah, I'd go with that. I don't necessarily have to dramatize it, right? No, no, <laughs> absolutely not. I mean. She was a tormented soul in a way. She had her psychological problems and she had to <laughs> she had to cope with the fact that her beauty was gone. Yeah. And that is the most interesting fact of the movie. That itself yeah. makes the movie worth it yeah. because it shows her in the later years yeah. and how she didn't want to be seen and yeah. how her great yeah. beauty and how it was always kind of thrown in her face that and and she we know that she suffered from that a lot so and and you know probably had eating disorders and yeah. other psychological problems yeah. but that is the most powerful part of the film that i thought was beautifully done yeah, i didn't okay. like the ending but up until there i thought it was a really beautiful exploration mm -hmm. of uh, okay. a lot of these elements yeah anything else kimberly you would like to share thank you so much for having me and i cannot wait until we Uh, meet in person in either yes. Vienna, Belgrade, Rome, points in between. <laughs> <laughs> That would ups the empire doesn't stretch down to Rome, but parts of Italy and the north, it would be okay. W would be lovely. <laughs> absolutely. We absolutely have to do that. And thank you for making time for us again. Thank you so much. Had such a fun time. You did enjoy this episode as much as we did? Then hit subscribe and don't miss the next episode. Also, make sure to follow us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. If you like to support us and buy us a coffee, you can do so via Buy Me Coffee and other platforms. You can find all the necessary links in the description. Until next time.